the way you do it is by becoming more. You expose yourself to more truth, right? And then you implement that truth. A lot of people don't realize truth is only unlocked to those who are willing to implement it. If you're not, like, you're not going to discover truth that you don't yet know until you start applying some of the truth that you already know, right? So I did what I knew to do, and that opened the door for me to learn better. What's really fascinating to me, Jerome, sad but true, like one of the most important things we will ever do is to remain curious and to learn a lot. But here's the danger of learning. The, and, and there is a danger of learning. The danger of learning is getting to the place where you let what keep you from learning what you don't know. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and you're in for a treat this week, ladies and gentlemen. I got the man, the myth, the legend, Myron Golden in with me today. Myron, how are things down in Tampa? Everything's great, bro. Everything's great. How are things with you? Amazing, man. I'm just grateful for this opportunity. I found you through a few different podcasts from hosts in the space, and I was like, I've got to figure out a way to get in touch with them. And so here we are today putting some, hopefully we're going to make some magic, man. So for the listeners who haven't been introduced to you, you've got a really interesting Inception story, and I, I don't want to ruin it by stuttering and stammering through it. I just know that you were born in a segregated hospital. So let's start there. Yeah. And then let's start talk there. about, wow. I want to start there and then we'll okay. come all the way back up. Sure. Yeah. I was born May 14th, 1961 in Tampa, Florida. At, the, at that time, Florida was one of the worst segregated, worst places for black people to live in the United States of America. It was really bad. It was like Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Louisiana, Georgia. Those were really not good places for black people to live. And I say, when I say not good, they weren't pleasant experiences. Right. And so my parents, when I was an infant, I was born in a segregated hospital almost a hundred years after the civil war, because I couldn't be born in Tampa general. Black people had to be born in this hospital that was started by a post-civil war nurse. Obviously she wasn't still there, but it was, she started in her house and it became a hospital and et cetera, et cetera, Clara Fry hospital. And that's where I was born. And the conditions of that hospital were not up to regular hospital standards. And it was some four or five, six years after the polio vaccine had been discovered. And I contracted polio. It started in my left foot. It worked its way up my left side. It affected mostly my left leg from the bottom of my foot to the top of my hip, but it literally affected my entire left side. And polio is a neuromuscular disease that attacks the nerves in your spine that control certain parts of your body. And because it kills nerve channels, and it blocks those nerve channels, that part of your body doesn't develop as fast as the rest of you. So I've worked, walked with a brace on my leg my whole life. And one of the things I want people to gather is I don't tell that story because I want people to feel bad for me. It's not even that I want people to be angry about segregation. The reason I tell that story is because that's my, what I had to overcome story, but we all have things we have to overcome. And, and I think one of the things that we have to learn and we have to, a discipline that we have to develop if we want to have a really great experience of life is we must learn not to curse our curses, right? The difficulties in our lives were ordained for us, for our particular assignment to make us strong enough to stay there when we get there, right? Wherever there is for us, for our assignment, right? And so by the time I was uh, 13 years old, my left leg was two inches shorter than my right leg, two full inches shorter and the doctors came and I, I wore a brace, but I also wore orthopedic shoes. And on the left shoe, it had a two inch sole and the right shoe just had a regular sole. Right. And all the other kids are wearing PF flyers and they're wearing K pro kids, Converse all stars. And I had to wear orthopedic shoes, which were literally they were like brown granny boots from the Beverly Hillbillies. Right. 
That's really what they look like. And the left foot had a sole on it that was like a Herman Monster sole. It was like two inches thick. And 13 years old, like, you don't, when you're a child, you want to be like everybody else because you don't understand that your greatness is in your uniqueness, right? You don't understand that your potentiality is in your individuality. So you want to be like everybody else. You want to fit in. You want to go along to get along. And because I couldn't be like everybody else and I was different and other kids made fun of me, like I did not like the fact that I had polio as an infant, but as an adult, a mature adult who can now look in the rearview mirror of my life and see that what I thought was bad was not bad. It was necessary. And so when I'm 13, the doctor comes to my parents, says, Mr. and Mrs. Gold, we've got an operation that can help your son. We can stretch his leg two inches. And obviously, because I had polio as an infant, I literally studied human physiology and human biology. I knew about the bones in the body when I was in elementary school. I knew the femur and the tibia and the fibula and the scapula and the, all of that. I knew, I knew all that stuff when I, because it was interesting to me because it affected my life every day. And I thought to myself when he said that, I thought, I know I'm only 13 and he's a doctor, but maybe I should tell him bones ain't made out of rubber, right? And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to break the tibia in the middle. We're going to break the fibula at the top and the bottom. We're going to put screws like through the bone, like through screws with threads on it, through the bone at the top, through the bone at the bottom. We're going to stretch this apart. We're going to put it on this metal device, has these knobs on it. We're going to turn on those knobs every day. And at the end of 30 days, those going to your leg will be stretched two inches. There's going to be a two-inch gap between the bone. And then they had to put wooden boards on the side of those screws and wrap it up in a cast. And I was in a cast for six months because the bone had to grow back together, right? And I don't tell you that story just so you can know what happened to my leg. But the coolest part about it was I didn't have to go to school for a whole month. I was all in. As soon as they said, you don't have to go to school for a whole month, I said, I'm in. You want to do both of them? Can I get two months out, right? And like, I was not a, I did great in school all the way through the third grade. It went downhill from there, right? <laughs> right? So, so, and so what happened was I tell you the story because that story is a picture of life. It's a type of life. And what it shows us is just like my leg, they put those screws through my leg. It wouldn't have stretched it off. They wouldn't have broken it first. Seldom in life can we be stretched to our full potential unless we're first broken. So we got to go through some stuff to get to our stuff. And unfortunately for most people are unwilling to go through what they have to go through in order to get to what they desire to get to. And that's why they never get there. Because every time they come up against an obstacle, they turn around and go back and sit, take a seat in the circle of sameness. What you got to do is you've got to say, okay, this is not what my life is going to be about. This is not who I'm going to be. I'm going to keep on going. When I face the difficulty and I work my way through it, or I work my way around it, or I work my way over it, that is the part that makes me the person who can do the thing that I was put here to do. So we went through that whole situation that my leg was stretched and then I didn't have to wear orthopedic shoes anymore. And I didn't even wear a brace anymore for a long time. I wore what's called a MAFO, a molded ankle foot orifice, right? And it was just a little plastic brace that fit inside my sock so nobody could tell I had it on because my foot, I can't lift my left foot like this. So it held my foot up so I could walk, but I walked with a cane. So I was 13 years old. Instead of walking with a brace, I walked with a cane. So from the time I was 13 till the time I was 32, I walked with a cane. And the only reason I started walking with a brace again is because I learned how to play golf. And the only way I could hit a golf ball is if I had a brace on my leg. So I went back and bought a brace so I could play golf. And so that's why. And so today I still walk with a metal brace on my leg. And what's really interesting is I'm one of those kids, like I said, I did really well in school all the way through the third grade. After that, it went downhill. Fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. Like I, it was so bad every year after that predominantly because I was so bored out of my mind. I was like, why are we doing this again? I like, I thought I can remember thinking that in the third, in the fourth grade, we did this last year. Why are we doing this again? This is a waste of my time. I can remember thinking that in the fourth grade and I almost quit school like two weeks before my graduation because I went to a small Christian school and me and the pastor had a disagreement about some doctrine and he kind of embarrassed me in front of everybody. I said, I don't need to put up with this. I'm not going back there. And so I didn't go back the next day, but then I went back and I graduated. And yeah, I graduated second in my class. It was a class of two. My little brother was the valedictorian, not the rest of the story. <laughs> so, so school was never my forte. And fast forward, I went off to Bible college, got financial withdrawn every semester, went into ministry, did youth ministry, assistant pastor, senior pastor, traveling evangelist. And so like, I loved the Bible. I came to Christ when I was 16 years old. 
and found out that the Bible was not about religion, but it was about relationship and it was about how to live your life better. And I started reading the Bible when I was 16 years old. And it was the first book I had ever read that was not a karate book and was not a comic book. And I was blown away by how practical and how simple it was. And I was blown away that I'd been going to church my whole life. And the stuff that I'm reading in this Bible, I had never heard anybody talk about. I thought, this is amazing. And so I wanted everybody to know how awesome it was. And so that's why I was involved in church ministry. And, and then I became an entrepreneur because, like, I had a wife, I had children. I wanted my family to do well. And so I started businesses. And I struggled in business for a long time. I got started in business in 1985, driving a trash truck. I was in that, I mean, well, I'm not driving a trash truck, selling insurance and investments. I did that, started in October of 1985. I didn't make my first sale until April of 1987. And I was doing presentations. I was just bad. I was really bad. I was so bad at selling that it took me a year and a half to make my first sale. And I can remember my first commission check because that commission, that first commission check was when I knew I was going to be rich. And it was only $125.66. And I knew I'm, I'm going to be rich. This is going to be great. And some people say a year and a half, you made $125.66 and you knew you were going to be rich. Yeah, because now I figured out how to make a sale. Within a couple of months, I was the top salesperson in our office almost every month that I was there in that office. And some people ask, they say, well, how did you go from not being able to make a sale to being the top salesman in your office month after month? Well, because that year and a half when I was really bad, I literally went through all the ways that would not work to make a sale. The only thing I had left were ways that would. And I just kept rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And most people are not willing to last through the learning curve. They're not willing to be bad at something long enough to get good at that thing and still stay in the activity. They're, they're willing to be bad long enough to get good, but they're bad. They do three presentations. They don't make a sale. They say this doesn't work. They don't quit, but they don't, they're not intense. They're, they don't have intention and they don't have intensity. And so they never do enough of the activity to learn all the things that won't work because they see not making a sale as a failure. I saw not making a sale as feedback, right? They say, well, this isn't working. One of the biggest mistakes human beings ever make in business, in relationships, in fitness, in life, is they make the mistake of thinking that something's not working. But there's no such thing as work that doesn't work. All work works. But work is a two-sided coin. I don't have any change on me. But work is a two-sided coin. If I flip the coin of work and it lands on tails, it's working on me. If I flip the coin of work, and it lands on heads, it's working for me. Most people think that work is only supposed to work for them. But work was ordained to work on us until we become the person for whom it will work. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. But I think people are asking, what does it mean I have to become the person? Because at the highest level, most people think they're good just because they showed up. And it's just not true. <laughs> What does it mean to become the person? I'm going to give you an analogy with my two-year-old granddaughter, right? My two-year-old granddaughter, we do not say to her, go clean your room. We do not say to her, here are the keys to the car, go to Publix and get a loaf of bread. Why? She has not yet grown into the person who can yet do that thing. See, the way God set everything up in the beginning is, and by the way, like, who am I? I teach people how to build successful businesses based on biblical principles. That's what I do, right? Because this business is a good idea because business is a God idea, right? Like, and people don't realize that, but I don't even have time to go into why, because that conversation would take longer than we have. So we don't say to her, go to the grocery store and get a loaf of bread. Why? She's not yet grown into the person who can do that thing. See, the first thing God tells us about God is not that he's good. And it's not that he's love. And it's not that he's righteous. It's not that he's holy, even though he's all those things. None of those are the first thing that God tells us about God. I think that as human beings, if God is telling us about himself. The first thing he tells us about himself may be one of the most important things for us to know. It may not be one of the most important things about him, but it's one of the most important things about him that we can know. The first thing that God tells us about himself is this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're not. But I'm very, very curious. And I thought to myself, well, I know God doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient. He's self 
satisfied. He's self-contained. He needs nothing. Why would he create a heaven and earth? And the only answer I've been able to discover is because he is creative, and therefore it is his nature to create. Creativity is an expression of who God is, right? So the first thing God tells about himself is that he's creative. The first thing he tells us about us is that he created us in his image, which means he created us to create stuff and he made us to make stuff. So when I'm working on, when I'm working in my creative space to make the world a better place, I am exercising my God likeness. That's what I'm doing. I'm being like the one who made me when I'm working on something. That's why I believe entrepreneurship is so important, right? Because it gives you an opportunity to exercise your God likeness, to take something that is now one way and turn it into something else with the ideas that you have in your mind. It's really remarkable. That's the first thing God tells about himself. The first thing he tells about ourselves, the first thing he says to man, Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam, God called their name Adam. So when he, when it says he said it to Adam, he said it to Adam and Eve. The first thing God said to man. So the first thing he said about himself was he's created. First thing he tells about us is that we're created in his image, which means he made us to make stuff, create us to create stuff. But the first thing he told us to do was be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it and have dominion. So that's the first command, which was a five-fold command, came thousands of years before the Ten Commandments. So if this is the first thing God ever says to a human being, it has to be one of the most important things that we must know. But what did he say? Be fruitful. Why do you say be fruitful? Because you can't say do fruitful. That wouldn't make any sense. You can't say have fruitful, right? So be fruitful. It's, It's interesting that in Genesis chapter one, God sets up this platform. Time, space, and matter. In the beginning, there's time established. God created heavens, so there's space, and, he cre- and the earth, there's matter. So God set up time, space, and matter, which are the principles that govern our experience of life on this planet. Everything that we do is bound, is within the boundaries of time, space, and matter, right? So that platform was set up for these parameters. Be fruitful. And the, by the way, the word fruitful means to produce on the outside based on what's on the inside. So God is saying, I put something inside of you. Make sure what I put inside of you shows up outside of you. That's what be fruitful means, right? Multiply means to increase. So use what I put inside of you to make something on the outside of you so you can increase. That's what be fruitful, multiply, okay? And by the way, the be fruitful, the verb is not mentioned, but it's implied. You, can't, you wouldn't say be multiply because that wouldn't make any sense. You'd have to say what? Do multiply. So the first thing God told man to do is be fruitful and then do multiply, do replenish. The word replenish means to fill up. So I want you to multiply, increase and fill up the earth, subdue it. The word subdue means to trample down. Why would he tell us to trample it down? Because there's a principle of high achievement. There's a principle of creation. There's a principle of making something of development. And that principle is this disruption always follows intention, right? So regardless of what you do, if you intend to do something good, the first thing that's going to show up is disruption. Let's say a person's out of shape. I was, I used to be really out of shape, right? Like I'd get out of a golf cart, walk up on the tee box, take, tee box, take three practice swings, and I was out of breath, right? It's 225 pounds, which is about 45 pounds heavier than I am right now, right? And I, I decided I was going to work out. Well, guess what happened the first day I decided to work out? I did not get stronger. I got weaker, right? When you work out at first, it doesn't make you feel invigorated and strong. It makes you feel in pain and weak, right? If you start eating right and you've not been eating right, the first thing you're probably going to have is you're going to have some detox. You might get some Montezuma's Revenge. You might get a headache. You're not going to feel better first. You're going to feel worse first. Then you're going to feel better, right? What's the first thing they do when they build a house? They have to dig a hole in the ground. It doesn't look like a house. It looks like a hole in the ground with a bunch of dirt. Disruption always follows intention. And the problem, because people don't recognize this as a pattern of life, when the disruption follows their intention, they conclude that they're going in the wrong direction, but they're not going in the wrong direction. That's actually a sign that you're going in the right direction. That's why God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue, trample down. So God said, be fruitful, do multiply, do fill up the earth, and trample down everything that tries to stop you. Stomp everything that tries to stop you. And then he said, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every creeping thing that moves upon the earth. So here's what he told him. The verbs were be fruitful, do multiply, do replenish, do subdue, and then have dominion. So here's what God said. 
be, do, have. Do, have. <laughs> do that mean? Don't be, can't do, can't have. The more you be, the more you can do. The more you do, the more you can have. Being speaks to our identity. And we're supposed to be being what? Be being, be becoming more like God. So we're supposed to be being. And then the more we increase our capacity to become, the more we increase who we are, the more we become like God, then that our, our identity is what is the genesis of our activity. That's the do. And the, the activity is the genesis of our property. So if I'll be, then I can do. And when I do, then I can have. And God, it's really fascinating how he set it up because he gave us an intense desire to have. So that we would attempt to do, bump our head on our inability to do, and finally yield to the thing he made us for, and that's to become more, so that we can now do more, and then we can ultimately have more. So the whole reason God puts stuff on the earth is to inspire us to have it, so we'd be willing to be more and willing to do more for other people, provide more value, so then we could ultimately have more. That's how he set it up. And that's all of those high achievement principles are just in the first chapter of the entire Bible. Like I could literally right now write a success manual just from success principles on Genesis chapter one. And I could write one that would be at least 700 pages right now. That's how much success principle. That's how many success principles are in the first chapter of the Bible. It's almost like God said, well, in case you don't get to chapter two, I want them to be okay. Right. So wait. Okay. So this isn't just conceptual. Like you've actually no, no, no. executed this in practice, right? Like, oh, I live this every day. You don't have a small life at all. Oh, no, no, no. All like no. I've heard you describe yourself as a golfaholic, right? You change your camera angle, but I've seen this same room. You got a two yeah. comma X plaque. What is that? I got a two comma X plaque. I got a two comma club plaque. I got million day million dollar day awards, hundred thousand dollar day awards. All of that. What's the two comma X plaque? What, how do you get one of those? You have to build a business that does over ten million dollars in sales. But that's just math. That's just math and human nature. Let's go down the hole, though, because I mean, you're yeah, because the person sitting there and you were a trash man and you didn't sell anything for a year and then you made a hundred dollars and like, no, <laughs> it's so much deeper <laughs> than that. And like people will skip over because they're not actually paying attention. So how do you go from 18 months and a hundred dollars to a business that did a million? 125, 125 dollars, 66 cents. Every, every penny matters when it's that small. I don't think you can even count $100 anymore. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So the way you do it is by becoming more. You expose yourself to more truth, right? And then you implement that truth. A lot of people don't realize truth is only unlocked to those who are willing to implement it. If you're not, like, you're not going to discover truth that you don't yet know until you start applying some of the truth that you already know, right? So I did what I knew to do. And that opened the door for me to learn better. What's really fascinating to me, Jerome, sad but true, like one of the most important things we will ever do is to remain curious and to learn a lot. But here's the danger of learning. The, and, and there is a danger of learning. The danger of learning is getting to the place where you let what keep you from learning what you don't know. Here we go. I know where you're going. Go all the way there. Because it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, right? And it didn't say they couldn't know. It said, because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. So it wasn't that they couldn't know that they didn't know. It's because they wouldn't know that they didn't know. Why won't people know? Because they think they already know. Because the miseducational, misdirectional system programs us to believe that the purpose of learning is knowing. And if I, I can prove that I know by getting a good grade, and so now I'm smart. When you're smart, when you realize there will always be more to learn then you have the capacity for. There will always be more to learn than you already know. That's when you're smart. You're not smart because a bunch of answers that somebody else told you were the right answers. What if that person was wrong? That's memory. That's right. There's nothing wrong with memory, but it, see the, the miseducational misdirectional system, government indoctrination camps, some child prisons, some people call them schools, but I call them those other things that I just named. They program us to believe that they tell us what to think, but they don't teach us how to think. And they program us to believe that knowing right answers makes us smart. But I submit to you that mastery. So let me back up a little bit. Let me back up a little bit. 
So I feel like I know a lot, right? But I also feel like I know what I know is an eyedropper of knowledge compared to what there is to learn. So some people, they'll get a degree and they're like, well, I've arrived. I've stopped learning. Well, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I know I don't know. I know there's so much I don't know, which is why there's not a day of my life that goes by that I'm not reading something, learning something, developing either my mindset, my skill set, or my tool set. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Okay. So you don't have the rings on the day, but what's the name of your company? Oh, you know why? Because I don't have the rings on because they're in my pocket because I just went to the restroom and I washed my hands and I forgot to put them back on. I almost always have my rings on all day long. So thank you for the reminder. See? Gold rings. is good. <laughs> <laughs> Gold is good. So Indeed it is. The name of your company. Name of my company is Skillionaire Enterprises, Inc. Or Skillionaire Enterprises, LLC. So why is the name of my business? Because the Old Testament word for wisdom would be our modern day word, skill. And a lot of people don't realize that. And so if you want to make millions of dollars, you have to develop certain skills. You have to develop certain skill sets. You have to develop a mindset. You have to develop a mindset that there's nothing you will ever face that's bigger than you. And when I say bigger than you, there's nothing that you will ever face that you can't get through or get over or get past. So if you go through life and you even have a victim card in your deck, you will find an excuse to use it. So like just throw away your victim cards, like get your victim cards out of the deck of cards that you play with. Right. And understand that when something is difficult, just because something is difficult doesn't make it bad. In fact, some of the best things in life are difficult. The fact that I had polio when I was a child, I thought it was bad. But as an adult, I can see it was difficult, but it wasn't bad. If I had a do-over and I could do a do-over without having polio, I would not take it. Whoa. Because it contributed so much to the person I've become. It's a- Every disadvantage is also an advantage. It's impossible. It's impossible for a disadvantage to be just a disadvantage. You realize that, right? Come on. Okay. So if you look at science, right? So uh, you can tell I'm a geek, right? <laughs> I geek out. I geek out on everything. So if you look at science and you look at the laws of thermodynamics, right? Okay. The laws of energy. First law is what? Everything is energy. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, right? It just changes form. What's the second law of thermodynamics? Any, it's the law of entropy. Anything left to itself tends to move more and more towards disorder. Well, if we keep going through all these laws, so which means anything left to itself moves to, that means if I don't weed the garden, the weeds take over the garden. Every time. If I don't clip my fingernails, they turn into claws, right? If I don't take a bath, I don't smell good. If I don't develop, my mind will automatically deteriorate. If I don't mo- use my muscles and develop my muscles, my muscles will atrophy. Because of the law of entropy, anything left to itself tends to move more and more towards disorder. Right. I love what Jim Rohn said. Jim Rohn said life is the struggle to keep death at a respectable distance. Right. And so what we have to do is we have to understand I can't just one wait for something to happen. I'm waiting for my ship to come in. You gonna have to swim out and get it. Right. So so the next law is the law of polarity. What's the law of polarity? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. What does that mean? So. What, how does that even apply to what I was just talking about? Like this. For every positive, there has to be a negative, and every negative, there has to be a positive. Every up has to have a down, and every down has to have an up. It's impossible for something to have a negative aspect without it also having a positive aspect, right? And it can be something really horrible, like racism, for instance. Ugly. It's horrible. But it also has, it can't be that ugly without being that powerful, right? And I know there are people who disagree with me because whatever their reasons are. But racism is a bad thing, but I am not a victim of racism. No, but you had polio as an infant. I'm not a victim of racism. I'm a victor partially because of racism, because I didn't focus on the aspect of it that was, quote, bad. I focused on the aspect of it that was, quote, good. You've never Have you ever seen a one-sided piece of bread? Doesn't exist. One-sided piece of paper? Doesn't exist. One-sided coin? Doesn't exist. One-sided pancake? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. 
So it's impossible for anything to exist with only one side. But your life, your next move is, after you face that thing that has both a positive and negative, your next move is going to be determined 100% by what you focus on. Focusing on the positive aspect of that thing or the negative aspect. The story you tell yourself or what it means. I don't get to choose the facts. I don't get to choose the facts. But if my attitudes are right, if my attitude is right, the facts don't matter. You mean they don't matter that much? They don't matter at all. Facts are just the facts. If my attitude is right, the facts don't matter. Period. I know that's really a very strong statement because that means that, like, there's a lot of evil in the world. There is a lot of evil in the world. But when my attitude is right, facts don't matter. A lot of people don't realize. Anyway, I, I, I could go into, like, a whole bunch of scientific stuff, and I think people would be better served if I don't geek out, but... If I stay on point and help people go from where they are to where they'd like to be. So where does that happen? It starts with your mindset, right? And you have to, when you, I love the fact that even people who don't believe in God, when they tell you who they are, they have to tell you who God is first, right? Like I can say, I am an atheist. Okay. You told me about God before you told me about you, right? (laughs) Because he is the. I am Myron. When I say my name, I have to say his name first. I don't believe it's only because I have to introduce you to him before I can introduce you to me. I believe he wants me to be reminded every time I say who I am. He wants me to be reminded that I am made in his image and that he comes first. And as long as I keep him first, my life is going to be good. Submission. Submission. Huh? Yeah. Submission. Yielding. Recognizing that God is a king. The Bible is a book about a king, a kingdom a royal family, and the culturalization of a foreign land. And God is a real king who wants to make you a real king. He wants to make me a real king as long as we yield to his sovereign kingship over the kings. Why in the scripture, Christ is called the king of kings, the king of King Jerome and the king of King Myron. As long as we're yielded to him, we get to be kings. If we're not yielded to him, then we're yielded to the fake king. Satan is the fake king. And he doesn't want to make you a king. He wants to make you a slave who thinks you're a king. And then he wants to kill you. God wants to make you a king and then give you life, the best life possible. It's, so what happens is, and, and literally, like, I have a coaching program, right? That you know about my $155,000 coaching program, right? I have a $155,000 coaching program where I got the ideas for what to teach in that coaching program. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> from the Bible, but more specifically, guess King where I got Solomon? it from? From the life of the wealthiest, wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. I literally have a business model where I teach people the business model of King Solomon. And when I work, when I apply it to my business, it works in my life like it worked in, not to the same degree. King Solomon, if he were alive today, he would be a multi-trillionaire. And I'm not a multi-trillionaire. <laughs> but I'm doing all right. <laughs> I think so. So, but I've got students. I've got, like... Somebody being successful doesn't mean they can help another person become successful. So I don't like telling people about my success. My successes are fine. I love telling people about my student, Neo, who had $2 million days in the month of July. Right? Or Josh, who after three months in my coaching program, had his first million-dollar day. Or, or Dan, who had a million-dollar day. Or Greg, who had a $1.9 million day within 45 days of the time we met and he started working with me, had a $1.9 million day. That doesn't happen to everybody. Wait, though. Wait. (laughs) People are scratching their head, right? Because most people don't even make $100,000 a year. So what does one do to make a million dollars in a day? And, I mean, keep it as generic as you want, right? Okay. So. Okay. So, well, I don't even have to be generic. I can be very, very specific. So it starts with mindset. What mindset? It's basic fifth grade math. You want to make a million dollars is basic fifth grade math and basic human psychology. So, okay, everything you needed to know mathematically speaking to create wealth, you could have understood in the fifth grade. So if you want me to do the numbers for you, you want me to like go through the numbers Let's for your people? It, it's really simple, I can do it. right? It's, yeah, it's yeah, basic yeah, fifth it's grade really math. It's, yeah, it's really simple. It's really simple. In fact, it's so simple when I do it, you're going to be blown away. Okay. So basic fifth grade math and fifth grade math and basic human psychology. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to move that over there. Okay. So I'm going to draw my board. So I'm going to show you how to make a million dollars a year right now. Okay. And I think this would be 
Like, let me, yeah, this would be a good place to start winding down. And then you can ask me questions about this. I'm going to show you the basic fifth grade math. And I'm going to show you the basic human psychology. Let's do it. About becoming, yeah. making millions of dollars. This is like literally what I do mathematically. Okay. You, you want to make a million dollars. First thing you got to do is you got to start the right kind of business. There are two types of businesses. Two types of business. Okay. Okay. What are they? You either have a business that sells a service or you have a business that sells a product. If you have a business that sells a service, it is going to be very hard for you to create wealth unless you figure out a way to productize the service. Let's say you paint houses, right? And let's say you make $16,000 every time you paint a house. You can paint one house every two weeks, okay? So the most you can make is $32,000 a month. You've maxed out your income. Now, $32,000 a month is not bad, but if you're painting houses five days a week for a month, and, the, and you max out at 30. What if you want to, what if you want to grow? Well, you can hire people, but what happens then is you end up oftentimes babysitting adults, right? This is not the business model that I want. Here's what's really cool. If you sell a product, let's say a $20 book, right? It takes no longer to sell a hundred thousand books than it does to sell one book. In fact, I sold my book from the trash man to the cash man. How anyone can get rich starting from anywhere. I sold 155,000 copies of that book so far. But guess what happened? Very few people know this part. You ready for the next part? I sold 100,000 books to one person with a 15-minute presentation. What? (laughs) See, it's just leverage. Now, but if I sit... What if I paint houses and I get 100,000 people who want want their house painted this year? Not going to happen. Right now, my blood pressure is through the roof because I can't make it happen. Right. You run out of capacity. Most people don't realize if you want to create wealth, you have to disconnect your income generation from time. Why? Because time is something you have in limited amounts. And if you attach your revenue generation to a limitation, you've limited just by proxy. You've limited your revenue generation. It makes sense. Does that make sense? sense? Okay. so now let's go back to the twenty dollar book idea. So let's say you have a $20 product. Let's say it's a book. You sell it for $29.97. Like my new book that's coming out, Boss Moves, it's coming out next week. Literally, it's $29.99, right? Okay. So let's say you make $20 profit on that book, right? How do you you make $20 profit? How do you make a million dollars? It's easy. You sell 50,000 books. Now, here's what's fifth grade math. You ready for fifth grade math? If you're multiplying two numbers that end in zero... You multiply the two numbers, five times two is 10. Then you count the zeros, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. That's a million dollars. There it is. Right? Oh, shall we make it a little better? If you're multiplying two numbers that end in zero, this is the, you multiply the two numbers and count the zeros. What if I move the zero off the back of this pro? this number and put it on the back of that number. And instead of having a $20 book, let's have, say I have a $200 video teaching series. Now I have a $200 product. I sell 5,000. I do one tenth of the work. I make the exact same amount of money. Ouch. But as soon as I did that, I hired a minister, a scientist, I mean a minister, a scientist and a lawyer. Cause I wanted to see if there were any spiritual laws, scientific laws or municipal laws against moving zeros. They said, no, you can move as many as you want. So let me move another one. When you have a $2,000 home study course, you only have to sell 500 of them to make the same million dollars. Well, guess what? 500 is only two a day, five days a week. Two two $2,000 sales, five days a week, makes you a million dollars a year. Would you agree to this? Absolutely. Fifth grade math. Okay, so watch this. $2,000. By the way, that's two a day. You can have weekends off and have a two-week vacation and still make a million dollars a year. Well, let's move another one. What happens when you have a $20,000 mastermind? You sell 50 of those. You sell one a week. I have a $155,000 mastermind. We've sold 10 in the last week. So this is not theory for me. This is not theory for me. This is just how we live our lives. Okay, but what happens when you have a $200,000 immersion, VIP day, whatever, Somebody wants to do a VIP day with me. I charge $25,000 an hour. We do eight hours. You want to come spend the day with me? 200 grand. You wire me the money. We'll set it up on my calendar. We get to come, you get to come spend eight hours with me and I'm going to rearrange the furniture in your head. And when you leave, you will be a money making machine. I don't even want to do that. Like I don't even want to, I don't want to spend a whole day to only make $200,000.
Okay. But if I did, that's how I would do it. Now, which one should I do? Should I sell a $20 product that makes me $20 profit, $200 profit, or, and sell 5,000 of them, or $2,000 product profit and sell 50 of them? Or should I do something that sells a $20,000 profit and sell 50 of them? Or should I do $200,000 profit and sell five? Which one should I do? The one that doesn't one? require your time. Which one do you think I should right? do? So how about E? All of the above. I do all of them. So I've got $20 book. It's not exactly these numbers, but I've got a $97 make more offers challenge for general admission, $297 uh, VIP. I've got a $2,000 mind over money mastery. I've got a $21,000 offer mastery bootcamp. I've got my $155,000 King Solomon's wisdom inner circle, and I've got my million dollar King Solomon's Royal family. Right? So that's the basic math part. Okay. So here's the basic human psychology part. The biggest problem, the biggest mistake people make when they're selling is they're trying to get people to buy. Human beings don't buy because you try to get them to buy. In fact, when you try to get them to buy, it makes them feel like not buying. Human beings are singularly motivated. We do things for one reason, one reason only, and that is because we feel like it. We feel like it. If you want to make, like, you want to get people to buy stuff, stop trying to get people to buy and instead create an environment that makes people feel like buying. How do you do that? Well, it's a relatively long answer, but I'm going to tell you the simplest way. I'm going to tell you the simplest way to make people feel like buying. Make yourself findable for people who are already looking to buy what you sell. Playing traffic. <laughs> Playing traffic. With that? Play in traffic, brother. Play in traffic. That's it. Like, make yourself... See, people say, Marin, I don't know how to find people to sell my stuff to. Stop trying to find people to sell your stuff to. There are millions of people in the world. There are billions of people in the world who already have desires. Why would you find somebody who desires one thing and try to make them desire something else? Instead of figuring out what big group of people has a desire, figure out how to solve their problem, show them that you've thought about their problem and the solution more than they have, put yourself somewhere where they can find you, and they will throw money at you so fast it'll make your head spin. It's that simple. Apple's not trying to find people. They're not knocking on doors selling iPhones. All they have to do is announce they got a new one coming out. Line around the building. Line around the building. Line around the building. And that's what you want. See, what you want to do is you want to, since you said that phrase, I'm going to end with this. How would you like to, and I'm not talking to you, Jerome. I am talking to you, but I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to all the people listening to me, watching this podcast right now. How would you like to have an army of people lined up out the door and around the building to pay you for your high ticket program, $20,000, $50,000, $100,000, whatever. How would you like to have that? Amazing. Would that be awesome? Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'm going to tell you how you can have that. But before I do, I have to ask you a question. What does a tree have to do to bear apples? Grow. Grow. Is there anything else? I don't know. You got me. Okay. It has to be an apple tree. You say, well what, is, well, what does that mean? Everything reproduces after its own kind. You want to have an army of people lined up out the door and around the building wanting to buy your high ticket pro coaching program? Then you have to become that kind of buyer before you can ever attract that kind of buyer. Because until you become that kind of buyer, you won't even know how they think. That's wild. So simple. But it's hidden in plain sight, isn't it? Maybe that's what it means when the scripture says, doth not wisdom cry? She uttereth her voice in the streets, saying, come ye simple ones, hearken unto me, right? It's like the truth is simple and it's everywhere, but it's hidden in plain sight. So I'm a fan of magic and I feel like you just did a magic trick with like sleight of hand because literally, <laughs> I think that just went over people's heads. Like, if you don't consume it, how can you actually be it? Like, it's got to go in for it to come out. I was interviewed on David Chan's podcast, uh, Social yeah, Proof, yeah. right? And so I like to go and read the comments. And some guy said yesterday, this guy's a clown about my interview, right? And it's fine. People are entitled to their views. This guy's a clown. I thought we were about to get past these overpriced tuition. Well, the reason he says that is because it doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him a person who doesn't see his own scotoma. Scotoma is a blind spot, right? What is his scotoma is 
the reason he thinks the price is overpriced is because he's only focused on the price. Rich people know the price of everything and the value of almost nothing. I mean, poor people know the price of everything and the value of almost, almost nothing. If you're price shopping, you will always skip over value because value always costs more, right? And so one of the most important things that I ever do for my clients is I charge them a lot of money to work with me. Why is that something I do for them and not something I do to them? One, because the heart follows the pocketbook. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A person who pays a little attention, person who pays nothing, pays no attention, a person who pays a lot of attention. That's one reason I'm doing something for them. Another reason, have you ever heard of shiny object syndrome? Absolutely. You know the solution for shiny object syndrome? Charge your client so much money, they don't have enough money left over for shiny objects. But that's not the only reason. Here's the most important reason I charge my clients a lot of money to work with me. You ready? People who are unwilling to pay will be unable to charge. They will believe that everybody else is as price resistant as they are until they stop being price resistant. Foundational shift. Yep, it is. Like, I don't want the cheapest of anything. I don't go to Walmart. I don't even like driving past Walmart. Why? I don't want cheap stuff cheap. And I know they say we sell good stuff cheap, but to me, they sell cheap stuff cheap. I don't go to Walmart. Why? I don't like the experience. I don't like being hassled. I want to save time. I don't want to say obliterate hassle. Right. And I want a sense of significance. That's the SOS of rich people. Save time, obliterate hassle and a sense of significance. That's why we buy what we buy. Nobody needs a half a million dollar car. Like I just spent, I literally this week just spent a half a million dollars, invested a half a million dollars on cars. I didn't spend it because the cars will make me more money than I spent on them. I literally invest over a half a million dollars on cars this week, right? But why did I do that? Because I am telling my subconscious mind I deserve the best. And so when I see the best, I desire the best. I tell myself I deserve the best. And then I don't feel awkward when I'm expecting the best. Give it to me again. Because that last piece is just a bow. I, I don't feel awkward when I... When I expect the best. I don't feel like I'm out of place when I'm expecting the best because when I get in my car, I mean, I've got a Bentley downstairs in my garage that we're going to sell today or tomorrow, but I'm, I'm replacing it with a, a Rolls Royce Wraith, right? And when I get in my Wraith, I'm going to feel like I deserve the best. When I get in my Mercedes, I deserve the best. And it's not about me being better than somebody else. I'm not better than anybody, but I'm as good as anybody, right? And it's not the cars that make me better. It's the fact that I'm better that causes me to deserve the best kind of car that I want to drive. Like when I fly, I fly first class. Why? Because I want a bigger seat or when I'm flying overseas, I want a bed. I want to go to sleep. I don't want to be up all night and then have to get there and have to get have jet lag. I want to sleep at night. So it's just it's a it's just a mindset shift. Mindset, develop the mindset then develop the skill set and integrate the tool set. And then you will have the assets and income follows assets. So one of the challenges that I have, and this is the second and last question I'll ask, is that a lot of people emulate the outputs, the trinkets, the toys, the, the stuff, stuff, the what, right, and never actually understand the how to right. get it. Yeah, they don't even understand the why. They may even understand the how. They don't understand the why or the when. See, the, the how is the tactics. That's what people think they want to learn. The strategies are the when and the why. The principles are the laws that govern the when, the why, and the how. But the ultimate is the essence. And that's the character, the nature, and the intention of God. And I'm not going to go into great detail about it. I'll just say this. It has to do with your identity, being yourself, your integrity, being honest, and your intention, being good. Why do so many people disassociate wealth from integrity and being good and I'm going to say it how my mom would say it, and then I'll break down what I mean. Because the devil is a liar. <laughs> right? Wealth is a good idea because wealth is a God idea. Think about it like this. Satan is a master deceiver. But did you know that the very first temptation in the history of the world was the temptation to focus on lack? Adam and Eve had everything in the Garden of Eden except one thing. All Satan did to cause them to lose everything was to get them to focus on the one thing they did not have. Which tells me what? Nothing perpetuates lack like focus on lack. Poverty is always the result of spiritual warfare. Always. Poverty is the result of believing Satan's lie. Why? Because Satan is the God of lack. God is the God of abundance. Yeshua said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. If he can't steal something, kill something, or destroy something, he ain't coming. And then he said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it how? More abundantly. God is a God of abundance. Did you realize? You probably didn't realize. Maybe you did realize 
there, you realize there are only two people in the Garden of Eden, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and food yeah. was free, right? Food was free. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says there's gold in that land, and the gold of that land is good. There are two people in the Garden of Eden. They're married to each other. There's no stores. There's nothing for sale. There's nothing to buy. And yet God put gold there, and he made sure he told us it was there. And watch this. He made sure he told us it was good. Wealth is not inherently evil. It is not inherently neutral. It is inherently good, even though some people use it for evil. Right? Now watch this. Why would God put gold in the Garden of Eden when there's nothing to buy and there's nothing for sale and there's no stores? And the two people that are there are married to each other because he wants all of us to understand that opulence and abundance are natural in the environment for the children of a king. It's what's supposed to be in the environment of the children of a king. The second time gold is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in conjunction with Abram in Genesis chapter 13, verse number two. It says, and Abram was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold. I love the fact that God didn't just tell us that Abram was rich. It told us how rich he was. He was very rich. And it didn't just tell us how rich he was. It told us how he was rich. So people would say, yeah, he was just rich with a godly heritage. No, he was rich in cattle and silver and gold. He told us how rich he was. He was very rich. And it told us how he was rich in cattle and silver and gold. Now, if riches are so evil, why would God bless the first patriarch with riches if it's so bad? Why? Because it's not bad. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. But Satan knows he can't keep God's people from the abundance of their blessing unless he keeps them from desiring it in the first place. Satan, the first, the scripture says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I fear lest by any means that as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. So whatever Satan did to deceive Eve is what he's going to do to deceive you. What did he do? He made her believe that if she focused on what she lacked, she would be more like God. He makes other people believe today, he makes people believe today that if their focus and their intention is lack, if their intention is lack, they're more like God. It's the same lie he told her. People are still believing it 6,000 years later. <laughs> here's, what, here's what we can do, Jerome. I know you got more questions. We'll have to do it on another interview, bro. I yeah. got to bounce. As much as I'd love to see her and talk to you, I, and I really, I'm not just saying that, I would really love to see her and talk to you, but I've got to bounce. I've got stuff I got to get done. One last question. What do you want the listeners to take away? You can be more than you're being. Then and only then will you be able to do more than you're doing. And then and only then will you be able to have more than you've been having. Be more, do more, have more. How God set it up from the beginning. You heard it from the man himself. Be, do, have. Myron, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.